If you're here, can you humor me for a moment? Stand to your feet or raise your hand. If, uh, if you have ever messed up in your life, ever sinned before, if you're a sinner, just stand up, please. If you have ever made a mistake, messed up, or sinned before, oh my goodness, I'm preaching to a bunch of sinners today. Take a look around. Look at, like, you are hanging out with a bunch of sinners. They accused Jesus of that too, though, so we're in good company. Thanks for standing. That, that's awesome. If Hopefully we got some people online that they're, they're watching. They're sinners too. They'll just feel right at home. Look at what Paul writes to the Roman church in Romans 7, 14. He says, so the trouble's not with the law, talking about the law of Moses. He said, it's, if it's spiritual and good, the trouble is with me. Can you say that? Say, the trouble's with me. We're really good in society of saying the trouble's with someone else. Right now, you know, leading up the next few months, all we're going to hear is the troubles with the Republicans. And then we're going to hear the troubles with the Democrats. We're always good at blaming someone else. But the trouble is with me. For I am all too human a slave to sin. Man, that doesn't leave me with a lot of hope. What's he talking about? A slave to sin. Let's, let's for a little bit this morning, we reference it a lot, but let's just dive in to this thing called sin. Jesus, thank you, God, for, you're, you're already here, you were here before we got here, but you certainly made yourself known in that time where we offered you worship, and then you spoke with clarity through spiritual gifts and willing vessels, God, and so thank you, Lord, for really just, just interacting with us when we certainly we don't deserve it God but by your grace and mercy you love us so much and we're grateful for that Lord Jesus we're going to talk about this topic that sin separates us from you so let us have wisdom and direction as we dive into this for a little while this morning in the name of Jesus we pray amen what does it mean to be a slave to sin that just seems hopeless Paul puts being human in the same category as being a slave to sin. Did you notice that? He kind of throws it together. I'm human, therefore I'm a slave to sin. Well, is there any humans here today? He says, there are different beliefs in our world about sin. What is sin? Where does sin start? Do you remember someone sitting down and teaching you to sin? I mean, did your parents like, hey, you got to pedal the bike, we're going to take the training wheels off, make sure you keep your balance, you don't want to tip too far one way, and hey, just ride now, and now let me, now that we're done with that lesson, let me show you how to sin. Nobody, nobody's taught how to sin, no, the sin is anything that goes against God and the commands and the principles of his word. Some people would say, well, sin, right and wrong, it's situational, it depends on the circumstance, and that, can, that it can be defined by the evolution of what's acceptable. For instance, the Bible said that, but we've come a long way. We've progressed as a society beyond that, so we don't have to do that anymore. That's what some would say. And I would vehemently disagree with that, because that is the mindset of there is no absolute truth. There is no, that truth is situational. It's relative on the circumstance. 
But I would argue that we have still have one standard of absolute truth, and it never changes. It is the Word of God. That's why, yeah, that's, we should be excited about that. That's why no matter where we go, where we live, it doesn't matter if you live here or Hungary or Australia or Budapest or Lebanon, it doesn't matter where we live, truth is not situational. And so we have this source of absolute truth, and it's the word. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman church, and he starts discussing this concept of sin. And he ventures into this topic where sin and humanity intersect. And he does so, he starts to explain things that I think we can all relate to. In the seventh chapter of Romans, in verse 15, he says, I don't really understand myself. Again, I've said this like three weeks in a row. I love the word of God (laughs) because he could have just shared the stories of victory. We could have just painted light. You know, sometimes we as believers, let's say we in humanity and Christianity, we, how's it going, brother? Oh, brother, things are good. God bless. How you doing, brother? Sister, how's it going? Oh, things are good. God's good. God's blessing. Hallelujah. And so we tend to like just... Sometimes put on a facade. Dare I say in this day and age, we tend to put on a mask. But we tend to put on a facade that, well, I can't really act like, you know, oh, if you need something right now, you got to come in front. If you need deliverance, if you're stuck in addiction, if you are struggling this morning, come to the front. Well, right away, we're like, whoa, <laughs> no, I can't do that. How are you going to know that I'm struggling? And then I'd have to take that mask off. That mask, not this mask, but this mask. And so I got to act like I got it all together. But yet we see in Scripture David and Paul and Moses and Elijah that they didn't do that. They were real. I'm reading Jeremiah right now. Jeremiah's called by God and he didn't even want to go. Jeremiah's like, oh, I'm young. He's like, don't tell me you're young. And like, there's this conversation. That sounds like Moses. Didn't Moses do the same thing? Elijah's depressed, hanging out in a a cave, like, I'm the only one that's serving you. And we feel like that sometimes in the 21st century, but somehow we think we have to put on facade. We can't really let people know that we struggle with these things. And you read Paul, and he just comes out and says, let me write to the church. And he says, I don't really understand myself. I mean... When, you're, when the preacher gets up in the pulpit and says, I don't understand myself, you're like, well, what does that leave us, you know? But you see, he's, he's, he's ministering from transparency, and he says, for I want to do what is right. Can we all relate to that? But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Can we relate to that? Notice we lost a few people already because they don't want to admit that. When I said, who wants to do what's right? I had a healthy amen. And I said, but I do what I hate, and I end up not doing what I want to do. The amen was like, yeah. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. 
I mean, could you imagine being in the Roman church as this letter is read aloud to you? You're like, that's Paul. Dude, there's no hope for me. If Paul if Paul's feeling like this, what in the world? But he introduces us to this topic that he calls sinful nature. Sinful nature. He sounds like a confused individual here. But that should not be surprising. Sin always causes confusion. God's word always brings clarity. Sin always aims to confuse. Look at the very instance where sin comes in. What do you see? The devil's trying to twist the word of God. Genesis 3.1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat of the fruit in the trees of the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. He didn't say that. She added that if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent says. Now I'm getting confused. God knows your eyes will be opened as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some, gave it to her husband who was with her. He wasn't like off. He was with her. He knew better. The woman was deceived, the man was not. That's not a direct, that's not a put down on a woman. That's more of a put down on the man. The man was given the direct instruction from God. He made a choice. That's even worse in my opinion. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together and tried to cover themselves. Now sin is in our world. And when sin comes into a life, notice that the, the individual reaction to sin is, I got to hide it. I got to put on a mask. I got to act like I have it all together. I can't let anybody know that I'm actually sinning or struggling with sin. So that still hasn't changed. Here we are in the 21st century. People still respond the same way. I got to hide it. I got to cover it. Nobody can see my failures. God was not responsible for the origin of sin, though, because people want to say, well, why would a good God do that? Did he not know that they were going to sin? Why would he even put that there and tempt them? Why would he put that tree in the middle of the garden? Anybody ever have a conversation like this with anyone? And so God creates Adam and Eve, but he wasn't responsible for the origin of sin. Let me, let me explain. He creates Adam and Eve to love him in a state of innocence. But love requires free will and choice. I did not swoop in to Arthur and Rachel Schilt's house and steal Jackie away. I mean, I kind of did. But I didn't do it with force, okay? I was not that dumb. Arthur's got a lot of guns, all right? So I didn't, I, didn't, I, I didn't say, you are going to love me. Love is a choice, and, and it requires free will and choice. So when people argue about Adam and Eve, well, what, 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 God would do this. That's not fair. Why would God create in the middle of the garden a tree knowing well? well it would cause them to sin because without a choice 
That is not love. If God says, I'm going to create humanity, I desire to have a relationship with humanity, but I'm going to give you no other choices, you only serve me. That is not love. Love required humanity to be able to say, I have an option here, and I have an option with my God. I am refusing to go that way, and I'm choosing my God. You have that same option every single day you wake up out of bed about who you will serve on that day. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They were not foreordained to sin. They were not put in a situation that was hopeless and without choice, but they responded in such a way that went with the voice of confusion rather than the voice of clarity. Don't go with the voice that always questions what you believe. People tend to do that sometimes. And, so, and you know, it starts with, you think it's really a big deal. You think that's a matter of heaven or hell. Do you think that's a requirement? Do you think that? And we, we hang around that too long in the tree and we start going, yeah, I just, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's not a big deal. When, when the voices are trying to constantly get you to question rather than embrace, you should be going, hold on, mayday. Should be some red flags here. It's better to go with the voice that causes clarity and wants you to cling to truth rather than question it every time. And because of that choice, Adam and Eve, now they, 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 in humanity, they bring sin into all of humanity. And notice what Paul just said in the New Testament. He said, in my sinful nature. He introduces us to this concept of sinful nature. What does it mean to have a sinful nature? Well, in, in Catholicism, in the Catholic Church, they use the terminology called original sin. We're talking about sin this morning. Let's, let's just really break this down. Original sin. In other words, because of what Adam and Eve did in their original sin, you and I are now born with original sin, according to them. So in order to, to immediately take care of that, what they will say is we must baptize an infant to take care of the original sin that they were born with. Here's the thing, though. I don't say this to bash a certain denomination. I don't say it to bash down Catholicism. Just biblically speaking, there has to be some understanding here. This concept was developed by St. Augustine of Hippo three to four hundred years after the time of Christ. So right off the bat, I'm going, Jesus and the apostles never mentioned this. Meaning, this was not a biblical thing. It was not something Jesus preached. It was something that was theologically discussed by the elite religious minds of that day, three to four hundred years after the time of Christ. What, what they taught and preached, the Jesus and the apostles, they were teaching and preaching repentance. Water baptism in, in Jesus' name, response to God. They taught that anyone who was baptized, there would be a teaching, a believing, an understanding, a decision, a commitment, repentance. All things that an infant is not capable of. So we never see an infant being baptized in Scripture. Those who do this, though, I'm not saying that they're bad people. They're just doing it because they're concerned about this concept of original sin. But I would argue 
And if you disagree with me, you know, we have religious elite minds like Brother Bill Foster here, and you can talk to him. But I would argue there's a difference between original sin and a sin nature. You cannot convince me that an innocent newborn, hold your baby for the first time, and you look at the baby like, man, you are a sinner. Now, you will say that at some point in their lives. But it won't be in the operating room. You cannot convince me that that newborn child that is just taking in, had just cut from the umbilical cord, and is crying, you are a dirty sinner. But you can't argue that that child was just born into sin. Do you understand the difference? Born into sin, but not born with sin. So guess what? Give it a little time, that child is going to be a sinner. That's because the baby is born into sin. That child grows. That child will need to be instructed by, about, by parents or guardians about what is sin. How do we take care of that sin? What is the plan Jesus Christ laid out for our sin? But you see, Scripture does not go in-depth what happens to a baby that's just born. So in our humanity, what do we do? We want to try to come up with an explanation when people ask us because, well, what would God do with babies? Well, and so there's original sin, and we just baptize them, and then it's taken care of. Man, we feel good. But that's not scriptural, and the Bible doesn't deal very clearly with what happens with an infant. So we say, well, I know that wherever there was clarity, there was a repentance, believing, understanding, decisions that are made. At what age does that happen? People will say the age of accountability. That's also not a scriptural phrase, but I understand why it's used. It's just that that's a good description. Well, what is the age of accountability? Well, it's different for everybody. That's why if somebody comes up to me and they say, I want my four-year-old to be baptized, my eight-year-old to be baptized, there's eight-year-olds that are not ready and there's five-year-olds that are. I mean, it's just a matter of understanding Jesus died on the cross. I want to live my life for him. I want to dedicate. I want, I'm sorry for my sins. When you can understand that you're ready. But what about before that? All I can say is, my goodness, you read about how much Jesus Christ loves little children the safest place in the world is in the hands of Christ, and he's going to make a really great decision. But I don't need to jump in and try and help the word out. And that's kind of what has happened over time is people try to, to, to fill in the blanks where they, they deem there are blanks in Scripture. But Paul references this sin nature in the passage in Romans. In Romans 5.12, it says, when Adam sinned, Sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Now we're born into sin, and guess what? The wages of sin are death. So all you sinners that stood up, you're all going to die. Thank you for coming this morning. This is the world we're born into. It doesn't mean, though, that we're guilty of sin or that we will be doomed to suffer eternal judgment punishment based on someone else's sin. Rather, we have inherited the law of sin. The nature in which we're born into is a sinful nature because of sin's dominion. That's why fasting is so important too because I don't want to just allow that nature to rule and reign in my mortal body. I want to push that down and say my spirit's in charge, the spirit of the Lord. 
Because of sin's dominion, every human in the history of the world has sinned except for Jesus Christ. Scripture makes this abundantly clear, both Old and New Testament. Old Testament, Psalm 52, uh, 53, 2. God looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone's truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. And you were like, man, I was doing pretty good. Ecclesiastes 7.20, how's this? I wish the Bible was more clear. I wish that they would make, make things more clear. Uh, how about this? Not a single person on earth always is good and never sins. How much more clear can it get than that? So I'm glad everyone raised their hand or stood up that you're a sinner, because then you'd feel really embarrassed right now. Like, man, I, didn't, I was the one in here that I thought I didn't sin. Romans, in the New Testament, Romans 3.23, it says, everyone has sinned. We fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone, every single person. Scripturally, there is no human being on planet Earth that will ever breathe oxygen on this planet that is not a sinner. Even before children have a conscious understanding of sin and can be held accountable, they have a nature that they're born into of selfish desire, stubbornness, greed, jealousy, envy, and dishonesty. I don't have to teach that to my children. I have to teach them to not live that way. Does anyone here have a toddler who has, who has never struggled with one of those things? Anybody here have a toddler who has never struggled with selfishness, stubbornness, greed, jealousy, envy, or dishonesty? Anybody have a toddler? Because you're preaching the rest of this message, and I'm going to sit down and listen to you. Did you teach them those things in your home? Absolutely not. It's their nature as human beings. They come naturally. But God calls every parent to teach self-discipline, obedience, gratitude, kindness. Say thank you. I read somewhere you should not force your kids to say thank you. They should learn that. I was like, well, where do you think they're going to learn that? I'm like, I don't want to make my children come to church. They need to choose it themselves. Are you, are you, oh, Lord. I almost got rude there because maybe there's somebody here that's saying that. If my daddy would have said, uh, you can, son, you're 12. You can choose whether or not to come. I would have been like, I'm sleeping in. Games are on. I'm not, you know, like, no, there ain't no way. But if you force your kids, you're the parent. Get them in the presence of God, the house of God, where they can feel God start to reach to them and deal with them, where they can make the decision for themselves. And so in, in the past, though, children would be punished for the sins of their parents. We even seen this in the New Testament. The Pharisees, oh, that kid's lame. What, did he sin or did his parents sin? Jesus is like, neither one of them sinned. But in the Old Testament, we see God say in Ezekiel 18.4, it says, for all people are mine to judge, both parents and children alike. This is my rule. The person who sins is the one who will die. I'm not going to hold the sin of someone else's choice on someone who didn't have a part of that. You're not stuck just because your household, hear me someone, online or in person, just because your household was an environment rich in sin 
Just because you say, oh man, my, I didn't grow up with two parents, one parent. My house was broken. I was introduced to drugs, alcohol, perversion, pornography at a young age. I got no hope. This is, this is the cross that I must bear because of who I was. My parents were and, and the way they let me down. And, and I was raised by this person and I was touched by that person improperly. And, and this is the life that I'm doomed to live. Hear me when I say, Jesus said, you are not going, your, your past does not have to dictate your future. You don't have to carry the sins of your parents or just because there was four generations that spent time in prison or there's been five generations of alcoholics. And so you say, my God, I mean, my great grandpa, my great great grandma, they were all alcoholics. So I guess that's what I'm going to be. Start to use your mouth and speak life and say, you know what? It's been in my lineage for years, but I'm proud to tell you that this is the generation that it stops. Yes. Sometimes we can feel like we get into ruts and the choices of our lives and we feel stuck. And, and sometimes you bring it on yourself. It has nothing to do with your family. But there's people that are watching online or sitting in this place that you know what? You have tripped over the same thing for years now. And that same thing every single time that you get back up, you're like, oh, I'm going to try again. That, that little voice starts saying, why? You're a loser. You, kept, you fell over that. It's been 11 years now. It's been, it's been 12 years. It's been 15 years. It's been 18 years. Look at the life you're living. If anybody knew that, you wouldn't do anything. Matter of fact, God wouldn't even love you. And what's that voice? Is that clarity or is that confusion? Where's that voice coming from? Is that clarity or is that confusion? Paul goes on to talk about this. He's writing in the Roman church, Romans 7, 19. He says, I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Anybody relate to this? It just sounds like a jumbled mess when he writes it down. Imagine you're, you're, you're in Rome that day trying to take sermon notes on Paul's letter. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it, and I end up doing what's wrong even though I don't want to do it right. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what is wrong. <laughs> it sounds so confusing, but yet every one of us are going, yep, yep, I, I know what he's talking about. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that is at war in my mind because sin is always a mind issue. That's why the Greek word metneo is a change of mind. It's a changing of, be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind between these two ears in that little space, there is daily a battle. Daily a battle in trying to define who you are. Every day there's a battle. That says, you're a loser. You're a sinner. You're nothing. Look at you. Look at the choices you've made. You're never going to amount to much. But that's confusion. The clarity says, I have purchased you with my blood. 
I have filled you with my spirit. I have a plan. I've known you since you were in the womb. I've seen the beginning from the ending. And watch if you will trust me. Watch what I will do with your life. You see, so Paul, he says, this power makes me a slave to sin that's still within me. This internal battle. You know when people stop sinning? When they no longer view it as an option. Because there are people, there are people in the sound of my voice right now that you're trying so hard to do what you want to do, to do what's right. But there's, there's a mentality, hear me right now, this could be the most powerful thing I say. There is a mentality in you that if this doesn't work, I can always just go back. And, and Israel had that mentality when they left Egypt. Oh, I'm going toward a promise. Ah, this ain't working. Let's go back. Oh, he took us through the Red Sea. What a worship service. God is good and greatly to be praised. There's no water out here, Moses. You brought us out here to die. Take us back. Oh, oh, wow, water's flowing from a rock. Oh, there's not to eat out here. Oh, my goodness, there's quail. I'm glad they're not. I'm, I'm eating so much, too. I'm puking it. Oh, let's move on. Pagan nation have kings. I want kings. I, I want to go back to at least Egypt. That, 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 look what they have. And that attitude can still claim people today. We say, oh, I've repented of my sins. I've, I've been washed in the blood. I've been, oh, look what he delivered me from. But, you know, if, if days get rough, I can still go back. Sin will always remain as long as you deem sin an option. As long as those things that you struggle with, oh, oh, yeah, but what if I do this? It's not, no, it's not going to happen. We don't have to discuss that because it's not an option. As long as you think you have an option for perversion, sexual sin, substance abuse, swearing, keeping all you have instead of rightfully giving what's the Lord's team to him, as long as you think that you have these options, you will continue to battle those things. I mean, I, I just mentioned the tithe. The tithe, there's never been a day in my life where, oh, man, I could really use that and go over here. Why? Because it's not even an option. That money doesn't even exist in my budget because it never belonged to me. And so Paul, Paul describes the internal battle that goes on aiming to live in the life of a sinner and, and one that we know all too well. And if the passage ended there, what a hopeless existence. Paul's painting this picture of this thing called sin as a powerful entity, and it is. It's something that is real, and we will battle it. But fighting it in the flesh is hopeless. No, you don't know me. I'm a pretty driven person. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I got laser-like focus, man. When I put my mind to something, good luck. You will never live sin-free fighting in the flesh. I got a strong will. Don't matter. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty laser-like focus. It, it don't matter. Fighting in the flesh, you will continue to live in sin. 
But then Romans 7, 24, he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? There is a reason. Paul is not a fool. He was leading up to this. You better believe when he started writing this letter, he had every person's attention in that entire Roman church. This apostle Paul is writing this stuff down. I want to do that. I do this, and then I don't do this, and then I end up doing that. I have the sinful natures in me. What a miserable person I am. Every person in the Roman church was going, what? Kids, sit up. Listen. No doubt. He says, so who can save me? It sounds pretty hopeless. People are like, nobody. We're all sinners. I can't save you. Caesar can't save you. The Pharisees can't save you. We're all in trouble. But then he says, who's going to save me? Verse 25 starts with, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. But then I was introduced to this man called Jesus on the road to Damascus. Because remember, folks, initially there were no chapters and verses in the Bible. That was in, done later in the translations. So we just need to continue from chapter 7 into chapter 8 and read on. He says, so now, so now we just got done talking about that, but so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And read on, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of our weakness. That Roman church was still thinking about dabbling in the law. And Paul's painting the picture. We all got issues. The law couldn't save us. He says, so God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies us sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end. He said, it is finished. It's over. The line stops here. And he gave himself as a sacrifice. Sacrifice. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would fully be satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead, who are we following? I'm following the capital S, which is the Spirit of God that now fills me as a believer. What is this answer to the thing called sin? Paul lays it out clearly. And this apostolic meaning from the apostles, this apostolic theology from the apostle Paul is the centerpiece of everything we believe and teach. He clearly lays out two ways to live in victory, two ways to overcome the hopelessness that comes with a life of sin. First is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why he said in Romans 6, 6, he says, we know that our old sinful natures were crucified with Christ so that sin Sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Did somebody hear that? You are no longer a slave to sin. Paul was not writing accidentally. He was purposely getting their attention to lead them to this fact. Certainly it seems hopeless for me. 
It certainly seems hopeless for you, but then Jesus Christ stepped in. In my sins, because the law required payment, and God is a just God, and he's not going to just ignore it. So what he did was, I'm not going to ignore your sin, I'm going to pay for your sin. I'm going to put your sin on that cross. And he said, I'm going to put your sin on the cross for when we died with Christ. We died, we were set free from the power of sin. Where do you die with Christ? There's a dying out that takes place in an altar of repentance. When you say, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Forgive me, God. Clean me. And then you take that sinful nature and you go and you bury it in the waters of baptism. And you go in that water and you say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I am baptized and my sins are now buried. They're submerged, engrossed, covered up. They're gone. They're no longer around because I have nailed them to the cross and then I buried them in the grave. But then Jesus says, it does not stop there. I'm not just going to forgive your past sins and say, good luck with the rest of your future. I will see you hopefully one day in heaven. He says, no, 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 no. When you died at the altar and buried those sins just like they did me, I rose again from the grave. And I want you to come out of that water and I want you to rise up with new life. Well, what does that mean? Romans 8, 1 and 2, he said, because you belong to me, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. Notice that the water washed away the sin, but it did not free you from the sin. What frees you from the sin is when God says, I am now going to take my Holy Spirit and I'm going to put it inside of you and you are going to begin to speak with other tongues just as the Spirit gives you the utterance. Hear me right now if you have never been filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, stand to your feet, raise both of your hands and begin to worship Him. And I'm telling you, this service will end with you experiencing something supernatural as you begin to speak other languages and sounds that you have never spoken before. You can stay standing because I'm going to wrap this up because someone here is going to get the Holy Ghost. They're going to speak in tongues for the very first time in their lives because there are some people here who have died out at an altar. They've been buried those sins in a grave, but they've been fighting and warring and trying to do things themselves. And God is saying, you, you died out there. You buried it here, but you're missing an integral component. And that integral component is me inside of you. I didn't leave you to do this alone. I didn't send you to a pack of wolves and say, good luck. You better believe you're, you're the bride of Christ. You took on my name in that water. You, I want to be with you. I want to fight these battles with you and for you. So let me put my spirit inside of you. You see, it's more than just belief. There is a sin problem in the world. Adam and Eve invited it in, and it still resides today. But Paul said, where sin doth abound, grace does much more abound. The blood of Calvary, the blood of Calvary is what paid the price for your sin. But the Holy Ghost is what gives you the, the power to be an overcomer and continue on.
So if you are here and a sinner, welcome to the club. This is a sinner's club. Scripture has already determined that we are all sinners. But the beauty is, is we're all sinners, but we don't continue. We don't continue in it. This thing called sin has impacted every one of our hearts, minds, lives, and families. But instead of living in hopelessness, instead of trying to overcome it alone, why don't we try God's way? If you've never repented, maybe you're watching online. You don't have to be in this church building to get this. If you've never repented of your sins, right where you are watching online, begin to say. You don't have to read a sinner's prayer. You know what the sinner's prayer is? It's whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be my words. You begin to say, God, forgive me, God. I'm a sinner. God, I failed. I let you down again and again. Uh, and matter of fact, I felt kind of hopeless later because I keep doing the same things over and over again. But Lord, I want to thank you for Calvary right now. I want to I nail my sins to that tree. You took care of me, Jesus. You, you, your blood can still wash over me. And I'm repenting right now of my sins. And as you begin to worship God, you know what? He already, he already took care of the sin. He paid the price for it. You're repenting of it. Wash it away. If you need to, you're watching online. You ain't anywhere near Refuge Church. You just inbox us. I will find you an apostolic church that teaches just what these apostles taught. And we'll get someone to baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. I promise you, I will find you a church. If I can't find a church, I will fly to your location and baptize you in the name of Jesus. I don't care where you're watching. We, we know that God wants to do something right now. And if you've never been filled with the Spirit, God doesn't expect you to do this by yourself. Do it alone. This thing called sin was paid for at Calvary and it is overcome by the, by the Holy Ghost that God is going to put inside of you. And he's even going to give you the evidence that you have it as you begin to speak with other tongues in sounds in a language that you've never spoken before. I invite every believer to find a place to pray. Come to the front. Stay where you're at. Whatever you want to do, just begin to reach out to God. If you've never been baptized, this morning I checked that water. It's warm. It's clean. I'm ready to baptize someone in Jesus' name. If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost. I will pray with you right now and you will receive it. Not because I'm powerful. Not because there's anything special in me. But because I have faith and it's a promise from God. Don't try to do this alone. God wants to place his spirit in you. This thing called sin. Everybody's so scared of it. You don't have to be scared of it. He already defeated it on the, on the, on the cross. And then when he rose again, it was taken care of once and for all. And that same resurrection power can be in you as you begin to speak another language. Speak in tongues as you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. If you're watching online, you can get the Holy Ghost right where you are. Once you repent of your sins, begin to worship Him out loud as with as much exuberance and energy as you can. And as you feel God, begin to come into your room where you are. Just begin to speak out whatever sounds He gives you. You're going to begin to speak in tongues. And God, it's going to be the evidence that His Spirit is now in you.